Welcome back to The Consequences Podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, oh, Hi everybody, uh, we've reached side six of Consequences, which is Blint's tune, uh, the piano concerto um, that finishes out the album, and that's what we're going to be um, wading into today. So we've said goodbye to Blint, Haig, Pepperman and the Stapletons. We don't really know what happened to them, although we get certain clues instrumentally during this side. And um, uh, Sean's alongside me as ever. And Hello there. And we're going to have a go at describing movement 1 through 17 of uh, Blint's tune. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird one. It's interesting. Uh, I was, I've been playing the vinyl 3LP uh, set a lot over the the last couple of months and it's really interesting that I wonder if you can guess there's three or four of the sides that I've pretty much worn out and there are two sides that are still quite pristine which seems to hint that I've not played them very much can you guess what sides they well, are? Well I know you're a massive fan of the instrumental portions at the beginning so yeah. I have to say sides one and two mm-hmm. uh, are played um, the three sides of dialogue, then, if, if side six, which you intimate is the is the prist- one of the pristine ones, it is, yeah. Which is the other side of dialogue that you? Side two actually is uh, is, is oh. or I used to play the flood a lot, obviously, because right. that crackles a lot. Yeah. Um, but um, sleeping earth and Honolulu Lulu is still kind of a pretty pristine state. Mm. But for for whatever reason, Blint's tune was was never one of the things that I played sort of obsessively and repetitively like I have done so many other sides of the album and it's really in the past month or two that I've really come to love it yeah I'd agree with that I've been listening to it a lot as well and um, of all the sides it's probably the most difficult Mm. Um, because it's slightly it's detached from narrative you know sides one and two we've spoken about this already it's it's very clear in the listener's ear or eye, the mind's eye, what they're doing. Mm. And the Blint's tune, although it's um, just as remarkable and just as inventive, mm. it, I find it difficult to associate it with visual imagery, although yeah. maybe that's not the point. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's so much harder to visualise what's, yes. what's happening. Because you, you're not clear which element... Uh, Blint is battling against no. any one any one particular time. That's right. Whereas in say side one and side two, it's very very clear. The titles give it away anyway, but yeah, the the, the action and the imagery is so cinematic. Mm. There are characters involved. There are animals involved. Mm. There are there's the sea and there's the wind. There's the the people blown away in that little house. Yeah. You know what's what's happening. You know what element is there. Blint's tune though is is a symphony that it is almost a, a listening symphony rather than a visual cinematic symphony. Yeah, that's, a, that's very well put. I agree with you. Mm. One thing I've found, and this has only come out very recently, and it's an oversimplification because obviously the, the two of them worked on it closely together, in very broad brush terms, the slow, beautiful bits seem to be lol cream, right? And the, the angry, percussive-based bits mm. seem to be more... Kevin Godley. That's the impression I get. You almost get this balm 
um, that come through, and we'll talk about some of the individual melodies, which in some cases are really beautiful. Yeah. And that's Lola at the piano, and then mm. you've got Kev with this battery of percussion and all sorts <laughs> of effects battling against. Yeah, so there's almost an extra dimension to the, the battle, isn't there? Yeah, it's, I think it's so. like. Um, these days you have rapping battles, don't you? This is kind of like a, a, a 70s analog recording studio battle. Yeah, I've, I've not thought about it in those ways, but you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I've got other thoughts on, on the, the dynamics of this piece. And uh, it's, it's interesting that th- thematically, um, as, a, as a drama piece, I think it works really well because you've got this tit-for-tat battle between the um, eccentric composer Blint mm who's been uh, down his hole. He's now surrounded by the, the four other characters looking on in admiration, no doubt. Uh, and he's, he's having this battle with the, the four elements. Sometimes all four elements together who, who are kind of pushing him back in this sort of brick wall of, of resistance. And then sometimes you get hints that there are individual elements that he's having the, the smaller battles with. But... It's interesting that just as you've said, there's, there's a kind of a dynamic thing between soft, beautiful piano lol and then kind of dramatic, loud, pounding Kev on his drums. Mm. Um, I think musically and dynamically, uh, where it goes soft and pretty is blint, and then where it goes uh, loud and kind of major key, uh, almost violent, then that's the element. So I think there's a lovely... Um, binary kind of dialectic going on here between the, the, the loud and the soft, the elements and, and, and blint. And it's interesting that there are some consistent musical themes happening throughout the piece. Uh, we'll, we'll go into the individual movements. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll debate whether we think there are 17 of those. Yeah, um, we're I, th- rever- I think they're just about... We're reverse engineering that, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, and, uh, and I've, I've come up with a list of 17. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, it, before we kind of go into, into much more detailed uh, analysis, I wanted to gauge your thoughts on this, Paul, because Blint's tune does sit very much apart from the rest of the record, I think, in good ways and bad ways. I think there's so much musical inventiveness, so much musical invention going on mm-hmm. in this piece. It's, it's wonderful, particularly the musicianship of Lol. Uh, astounding um, lots of lots and lots of new musical ideas new motifs new melodies beautiful chord sequences that you hear for five seconds mm. and then they're gone um, I love that inventiveness that newness but that is all that is both a strength and a weakness for me because what I love to happen in Blint's tune is for, for some kind of bringing together of the musical themes that we've already heard throughout the album. I was just going to mention that. I'm yeah. very surprised that they don't bring in, you know, Lost Weekend or Five mm. O'Clock in the Morning would be even more obvious. Yeah, or Stampede or, 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 yeah. or something like that. And they would be completely within their rights to do that. I mean, it's a, a, in an album of this length and this complexity, bringing back or reprising themes would, yeah. would, would not be in any way covering the well, covering the same ground but it would be completely justified in fact it would add to the strength absolutely it's a beautiful and satisfying way of closing an album if you think uh, of trick of the tail by genesis yeah that ends with a, an instrumental called los endos which has half a dozen musical themes from the the rest of the album yes in this kind of gigantic epic track it's wonderful and it somehow it rounds off 
the record really brilliantly, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and um, there are a couple of things that echo. Yeah, yeah. Directly, uh, but otherwise, it's it's taking you into into kind of new territory that sometimes almost doesn't seem to belong to the rest of the record. Well, maybe, I mean, we've talked about the creative process and they were now nearly 18 months away from the beginnings of working on side one. Mm. And we've talked about how they're always pushing forward and breaking boundaries. And maybe they, they were still doing that uh, in side six. You know, that they, mm. weren't, they weren't even the musicians they were 18 months previously, to be honest. They'd been through such a lot of changes. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that explains the difference of side six, possibly. It's it's kind of almost left hanging, isn't it? Musically, mm. it's it's open ended. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's an odd one, uh, but as we said at, at the at the start of of, of this podcast, that uh, we we have come to really really appreciate it um, as a standalone. A bit pretentious to call it a symphony, but I think it is. It's quite uh, short, isn't it? It's only about fourteen minutes yeah, of music for, for a prog piece. Probably twelve minutes of actual music. Yeah, it, it's that's right. There's a sort of the, the tail end, which yeah. is very important, goes on for quite a while. So it's for a progressive piece, it's relatively short. Yeah. Um, There's a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. It does actually. It seems like a long time. Not that it's a difficult or. Mm. A, a boring listen, but it, it, it's, it, it's a difficult listen, though, isn't it? It's challenging. It's challenging. I it can't help thinking of those people at the um, Consequences launch in Amsterdam, <laughs> having sat through five sides already, and then uh, listening to the sixth <laughs> side. That must have been such a lot to take in yeah. when they were expecting, I don't know, tubular bells or some something else, <laughs> uh, whatever they were expecting. What this, would they have thought? I mean, it was. We've, probably would we've have been thought, in love with this for, yeah, for 40 years. They may have thought, what the hell is this? Commercial suicide. Yeah. Who knows? They, they were all, all getting paid and free drink and free food, I suppose. The, <laughs> the journalists um, uh, on, that, on the day of the launch, but I don't know. <laughs> but uh, looking at it, uh, looking at Blint's tune uh, more, more closely now, it was interesting uh, just... So twiddling away on my guitar while listening to this, Paul, and just trying to get my head around the kind of keys uh, that, that are being used here. Mm-hmm. As a general thing, uh, it seems that the the angry, uh, angrier, louder sections, the kind of the, the elements, either collectively or individually, fighting back at Blint, um, a lot of those pieces tend to be in, in quite almost prosaic... Um, Major major keys, and there's one key in particular that seems to be recurring an awful lot, particularly in the first half of Blint's tune, and that's okay. the key of F major. Right. There's a a kind of a residual kind of ground ground zero point where uh, quite a few pieces kind of resolve to this sort of F major. Uh, that's not referred to by by Blint at all in in his in his ramblings. Right. But musically speaking, here it's quite interesting how you've got the elements seem to be pinned to F major. Would that be possibly due to the way that the percussive instruments are used? I mean, xylophones and things like that. Is yeah, there xylophone. Um, uh, Glock really more than xylophone, I think. Glockenspiel. Okay. Uh, you've got timpani. 
Right. Um, I wonder if the tuning of those or Kev's deployment of those instruments might somehow have tied it to a particular key. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, he he might have tuned his percussion to whatever key Lol had had, had composed. But I just thought it was it was interesting. Major keys for the elements, but for Blint, his pieces tend to be written in sweetest, quite simple uh, minor chords. Okay. Which is interesting. You're Pr- talking pretty about and light. Yeah, the p- kind of piano those lovely pieces. Lovely piano pieces. The, yeah. the two major melodies I think that we're yeah. going to talk about. Sure. There. I mean, obviously this is all Blint's composition. But when I when I refer to Blint's bits, I'm yeah. talking about him kind of with, with the piano as a lead instrument, a slower tempo, it's pretty, it's it's uh, it's flowing, it's gentle. He's uh, almost trying to it's like a Almost like a lullaby, like a parent trying to get totally. an unruly child to sleep, and that that they do manage to bring that across. You often yeah. hear the elements almost quieting down, and sort of they were shouting, and then suddenly they're murmuring. And there's little kind of tail end noises of of their anger. No, that I, that is that I is really marvelously agree. done, isn't it? And there's a, one section near the end of it uh, where uh, the bass notes that Lowell's using on the piano are descending, uh, and I think that is absolutely saying calm down you know that it's almost like the the pulse is is just lowering and lowering and lowering and right. it's a beautifully subtle musical code i think for all right you can earth you can go back to sleep now yeah so let's have a look uh, at the at the individual sections then of, of blint's tube i absolutely adore the the opening uh, salvo at the start uh, stapleton uh, gives his count of 17 and suddenly you've got this enormous cacophony uh, of very very orchestral sounding gizmos and percussion playing these major chords and, and the first chord is is that that f that i mentioned i've got my little uh, throwaway guitar here that just kind of helps uh, illustrate what we're saying we tried uh, to lug a grand piano into the uh, into the office but they wouldn't let us do that. <laughs> that's right yeah, so F major, and then you've got a, 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 an E flat, and then a D flat, and then it resolves to that droning F major that uh, I, I, I told you about. When I say F major, a lot of the a lot of the, the, the chords in inverted commas used in the the loud violent element sections are actually one or two note chords. To power chords. Power chords or just unison notes. Right, so, so just the root? It, sometimes it's, it's literally just the root. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an aside, I'm sorry if we're rambling a bit here, folks, but as an aside, it reminded me of, of Blint's discussion about Duke of Earl and, um, and the Danny and Junior's song at the hop. He said he wasn't keen on Duke of Earl, and it was just those individual notes with no harmony. Yeah. And yet he really loves Danny and the Juniors, which is a, 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 a lovely, obvious four-part harmony. There's almost a, a reflection of this in the way the unison root notes are used uh, as a very, very strong punctuation of the elements bits. But there's there's lovely three- and four-part harmony during Blint's kind of piano response to, to those elemental okay. things. I hope that makes sense. Um, we'll listen out for those unison bits. Mm-hmm. 
Those crashing chords coming in, uh, the F drone, uh, and then you've got wonderful pizzicato uh, played on, on the gizmo, reminiscent of uh, what he, he uses on Stampede, for example, mm -hmm. uh, which is just absolutely superb. Um, and the F note carries on and it underpins the, 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 the action, which is basically the elements fighting back against this, this man who's attempting to save the world from, from destruction. One of the things I really love about this intro is that, that Blint fighting back against this kind of um, four-element onslaught uh, is fighting back with individual notes on his out-of-tune piano. It, and yeah. I really love that. And, it, and it, that, that is so visual because you can see him in his hole, yeah. can't you? Literally fighting um, the, the entire sky. Well, I get the impression when he's, he's fingering that single note, um, you know, hammering on it, I almost get the impression that he's trying to match for speed. He's, he's, <laughs> he's trying to work out what key the element is in or something. Mm -hmm. And then almost immediately after that, you get these very short passages of, let's say, element, followed by Blint's response, which is a kind of call and response thing. He's almost trying to get in sync with mm. the way they're approaching or yeah. attacking him. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? No, it, definitely. In real time, he's trying to respond. That's right. Which is and the elements, there's that, that drone of, yeah, yeah. Of, of F, and then he, and one, of the, one of the notes he hits is this C. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that, that he, one of his later piano pieces, the long one, which is kind of the, the prelude to the, to the finale, yes. um, resolves to C. A couple of times it resolves to C. So it's almost like the key of C major is where Blint's piano pieces kind of resolve to. Right. He's trying to put the genie back into the bottle yeah. of C. You know, do you want to see what I'm getting at? He's yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's to... bending the world from, from its nasty F yeah. into a lovely C. So, yeah. And we're probably talking rubbish here, but that's what's going on musically, I think. Okay. Yeah. And probably my, my sonically speaking, my, my favourite aspect of that, that opening salvo is, is that the laughing, the sinister laughing. Yeah. Um, there's little Blint, um, you know, battling against these infinitely large forces, and they're just laughing at him. I don't know how Godly Cream and, and Martin Lawrence achieved that laughing sound. There's a human element to it. There might be a gizmo-y kind of element to it, but I think it's marvellous. Yeah. And then for what, what I think is, is movement two, um, that starts at, uh, I think, about 35 seconds in and lasts about a minute, you've got the first of Blint's quiet piano responses to the, the, the violent element music. Uh, and th this is interesting for, from a couple of points of view, I think. It's, there are basically two musical chord sequences, musical motifs going on here. You've suddenly got a, a very an, an uplifting. Um, you said romantic when we were talking just before. Uh, piano and gizmo together, very subtle and soft, um, very very pretty, and that's uh, I think in around the chord of, of 
C minor seventh with a a, a root note, a kind of bass note of G. So C minor seventh over G. Very, very nice indeed. And then 20 seconds or so into that, it modulates to the key of E flat minor. And that's very, very interesting because I've been re-listening to uh, the parts in the Peter Cook dialogue. When anybody says the word whole, you get that, that lovely burst of ah. And I previously said I thought it was a B major seventh chord. Um, but uh, one of our friends on the, on the Facebook group Evan Hammond said, no, no, I think it's E flat minor. And I've, I've sort of reassessed. And I think, Evan, I think you're absolutely right there. I don't know where I got those extra notes from. But uh, yeah, there's this, this lovely E flat minor, which kind of is what Blint is saying is, is his key and the key of the pyramids. Mm. So that, that's quite <clears throat> nice. But 53 seconds in, you get a lovely change into a piano arpeggio based around the, that chord of, of E flat minor. about Lowell's piano playing, oh. which is, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Uh, now, you know, Lowell had already played a lot of piano in, in 10cc um, tracks, and he clearly gravitated towards arpeggios, plays mm. a lot of arpeggios, thinking of um, Brand New Day, Somewhere in Hollywood, and probably lots of others I can't think of. Mm -hmm. And even going back to Hot Legs days, um, that's more guitar, but there's a lot of, you know... Um, Fresh Air for My Mama. Yeah, yeah, and the Hot Legs tracks where he's doing this similar sort of thing on guitar. So this is clearly a, a kind of keynote sound, or maybe the way... Maybe it might be building blocks of the way he writes things as well. Mm -hmm. um, but the the technical, you know, level of his playing mm. on Side 6 Consequences is, is, is higher than he's ever achieved before. Oh, it's wonderful, exceptional. He, and he's very disparaging about his piano playing on the record, the isn't he? The only time I've ever heard him specifically mention the piano playing was uh, that those groundbreaking interviews in Uncut magazine about 20 years ago. Mm. Where, and the takeaway from that was that Kev seemed to be embarrassed about the whole <laughs> thing. But meanwhile, Lowell had a very... Um, uh, in a way, a very positive attitude, saying, yeah, I, I, I loved it, I loved the experience, and I wasn't too bothered about the end result. Mm. But anyway, when somebody asked him about the piano playing, he again um, just said, oh, I, I, I dropped in nearly every note, indicating that he played it very much piecemeal. But It flows uh, too much, I think, yeah, for, for that Yeah, I think he, to be he's being case. disingenuous there. He's, it, he must have put so much work into into the way the piano is played and the dynamics, soft and loud. A beautiful it's, touch he's yeah, got. Yeah, it's a beautiful touch. And he never really revisited, um, you know, that style afterwards. No. So, for, for, you know, so Blint and Lowell Cream really kind of coincide on side six of consequences. He kind of is Blint. He really mm. is playing his heart out. And, and it's, it's stunning. He really is. 
uh, both on piano and on the gizmo as well. There's some wonderful uh, gizmo playing. Yeah. Some beautiful sounds as well. I love in this section you hear a gizmo sound that doesn't feature uh, terribly often on the rest of the record. It's quite a thin, um, very bright and airy sort of uh, gizmo sound. Viola-esque yeah. in, in a way. Um, probably EQ'd to make it sound even thinner, and I, I really, and, and it matches perfectly the, the softness and the lightness of of Blint's piano pieces here. Right. Uh, I, I think it's absolutely beautiful. Um, in a sense, um, recently I was struck by the the image here that Blint is trying to flirt with the with the elements. Oh yeah. He's almost trying to seduce them. There's very much a kind of uh, a twinkle in the eye, romanticism about the, the, this section. Yeah, I think. it's it's quite sensual, isn't it? In mm. places, yeah. So we move from that gorgeous uh, solo piano piece um, when Lowell's gone back into the around the chord of C minor mm. sevenths, that beautiful melody. Um, you get the the tempo and the action um, on the upswing now as the elements respond uh, to Blind and you get a fast pizzicato section that sounds a bit fiery to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as we were referring to earlier, it's underpinned by an F an F root note uh, with some great sort of gizmo playing. Um, slightly reminiscent of the sort of fireworks section, I think, on, on side one. Um, quite discordant here. And, and often the, the elemental parts of Blint's tune are quite discordant, right? Um, non-chordal, shall we say? Yeah, there's a there's a pulse now. There's a four to the bar pulse in this section, which is the first time you've kind of there's been a sort of tempo added, really, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I suppose this this section is quite visual in a way, isn't it? Because you, you you're cutting from Blint down down in his hole. You're cutting to to outside, where the, the, you can almost picture the reds and the oranges and the the kind of anger in the elements. Well, interesting you say that. In I mean, in my mind, it, and it, the whole thing is free to interpretation, of course. But <laughs> yeah. everything's collapsed. Even that, I think they're just sitting there. It's like after a tornado. They're mm. just they're sitting there uh, on the ground. You know, everything's been blown away. The building's gone, and the, if if. You know, if the other four are still there alongside Blint, it's just him and his piano in this kind of open openness, and they're looking up, mm-hmm. uh, down, sideways, yeah. all directions at the elements. They're mm. completely, you know, exposed to them at this point. That's that's the way I see it. Totally. Uh, and again, we go back to our, our heartfelt request for anyone to please uh, spend a few years animating the, the whole of Consequences, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd pay good money to watch that. Yeah, so so this is uh, what I think is is movement three, uh, very very short, lasts about forty seconds, uh, from one minute thirty six through to two minutes seventy. <laughs> Thank you. 
and we move with a real sense of drama into movement four, uh, starting at 2.18. Uh, you get the, the familiar E major chord from Sleeping Earth. Uh, there's a, a 12-beat count, three bars. We were hoping it was going to be 17. Yeah. We just counted it, but it wasn't. And then you've got those two, uh, those two chords from Sleeping Earth, G minor and E major. Yeah, and uh, it's funny, that's, that's almost the only direct musical nod to sides one to five, mm. um, very, very directly. So this is obviously Earth now, and almost to, to accentuate that point, this little section is made up almost entirely of, of Kev's percussion and sound effects. Uh, sounds like people in the studio high on hash making animal noises. Yes, well, maybe you know, the animals are scurrying around. We don't the, the, these this the, the clue of the animals retreating or escaping. Maybe this is a direct reference to them. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it is. Uh -huh. Yeah, so you, you've got that the sleeping earth chords, and then once again it, it reverts down to this drone of a of an F an F note, right? Which seems to be where the elements are kind of planted. I'd like to know how all this was recorded. Do you think Lowell put down a backing track, not for the entire thing, but movement by movement, where there was piano and then Kevin, or the combination of the two of them, I suppose, layered things on top, or...? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think it's it's probably led by the piano. Right. And then they just did overdubs. Right. Uh, there's one section we'll come on to uh, later, uh, about five minutes in, where they're both playing in, in such perfect synchronisation, right. they can only have been in the studio together doing right. it, because to overdub like that would have taken about a week. But we'll come on to that a little bit later. So yeah, a very atmospheric little section this. Uh, I, I love all the, the sort of the tinkling of bells and there's, there's bits of, of percussion, of, of glockenspiel type sounds and, and so on. And then you get this really strange sort of synthy sound. That it sounds like a synth, but I'm sure there are no synths on the album. It reminds me of the latter parts of um, Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, actually. I think mm -hmm. there's, it might be the Red Weed, one of those sort of tracks. Okay. You've got this very, very strange synth sound. It might be a gizmo, and probably is a gizmo. Could but it be one of those things, that, is it volume tone control, where the attack's taken off a guitar note? Yeah. Maybe like that. Yeah, it, it could well be. Uh, or a, an effects pedal or something that he's got. It's, a, it's a, such an unusual sound. And at 3 minutes 39 is, is one of our sort of mutually favourite parts of this uh, piece, isn't it? The, that lovely, beautiful uh, piano and gizmo section. Yeah, I always used to listen out for this when I first got the album. It's, it always reminds me, um, for some reason, of, of, of mountains covered in snow. Mm. I, don't, I don't know whether that's what they were going for, but it's got that beautiful 
just a beautiful feeling, beautiful melody. Yeah, it really, really has. And very simple chords, just a D minor. To G major, D minor to G major, and then D minor to C major. Yeah, that that res that resolution yeah. really hits home. It's a beautiful move. That. And that's you know another example of of how Blint's little pretty bits resolve to a C. Yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, it's utterly, utterly gorgeous that bit. Piano on its own to start with, and then you get that the, that high, light, airy gizmo sound that we were talking about before. Uh, then accompanied by the, the deeper basses and cellos from the gizmo as well. And it's Be just really superb. Beautifully arranged. If you stop to think what's happening there, I mean, Lolly's basically doing this whole thing by himself. He's, he's <laughs> playing the melody on a piano, and then it really is like an orchestra. Mm. The, the melody is then taken by what one assumes to be a violin section and then a cello section. Mm. Well, it, it, it's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Action's moving very, very swiftly here. We've got a, a uh, another sharp cut into section six at four minutes twenty-five, uh, which I kind of nicknamed the seasick section, where you've got the in sort of an A flat minor sort of chord that's very reminiscent of, of what Brian Wilson was doing in the Smile sessions in '66 with Mrs. O'Leary's Cow, the fire section and Cabin Essence. Yeah, and even his version of Walk On By, yeah. where he layers those, they're, they're chromatic notes, right, going up that's and down. It. Yeah, That's it. Um, and we, we hear pretty much th that same sound effect, musical sound effect, when uh, Haig, uh, in probably side five, is saying, well, he's trying to calm everybody down, and he's saying, let's all think of the sea. And, and in the background you hear, so I think that's possibly another musical throwback. To and in Honolulu, Lulu, um, I can I can picture a bit of that, which has got that same kind of run. Ah, will they ever let up? No. I think yeah. underneath that part, it's got that same kind of chromatic run. Maybe it's a combination there of of, of water and, and, and air. Right, um, but immediately eleven seconds in, um, we, we switch to what I think is is a yet another movement, mm -hmm. uh, movement seven at four minutes thirty three, which is that amazing heavy staccato section that starts in in E major and then seems to kind of randomly throw uh, chords at you, uh, heavy percussion drum uh, with heavy piano hit very very hard and played impossibly tight well i think it's not played in space cake kev's autobiography he uh -huh. he cites if there's a few clips actually of consequences right um and this movement i think is in there and 
it was done by spli- uh, by cutting the tape up, throwing ah. it up in the air, and splicing <laughs> it back together. Why that? That's yeah, because it, it's so it's so tightly played. It, it, I don't know how they could have possibly done it at random. Yeah, and and hit those notes so yeah, precisely. Yeah, they, they didn't. That's that's how they they were obviously playing something together in yeah. unison. Uh, maybe a more conventional sequence, one chord at a time, maybe yeah, something like that. Ah, that explains a lot. Yeah, and that that of course that idea of throwing the tape in the air and putting it back together wasn't completely new because that's exactly what George Martin and his team yeah. did in being for the benefit of Mr. Kite on Sergeant Pepper's. Yeah. But I Strawberry want... Fields as well, did they use that technique at the end? Um, not sure. But having said that, I'm not sure whether that wasn't whether it was known, you know, whether whether you know George Martin had, had written about what he did at that time. So they mm. they may not have even been aware of, uh, mm. of the precedent for that. Maybe they just chanced upon the same the same technique by themselves. Sure, you know? it's very effective though, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a a perfect violent response to to Blint's prettiness. Yeah, exactly. Completely breaks up the tempo. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's really yeah. yeah absolutely, and you, and again, you've got no harmonies in there. You've just got notes played in unison. A uh, couple of octaves, low octaves on the piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's interesting. It goes back to my comment about Duke of Earl, um, the dis- you know the, uh, the 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 kind of music that Blint dislikes. In other words, the the disharmony of of, of elements kind of at war with each other in the world. Mm-hmm. So you're sticking with that theme of of root notes being a kind of an ugly, violent thing. C note, uh, which leads into another lovely piece in C minor that we'll come to. To me, it's like all the elements kind of whirling around each other, uh, railing against Blint, um, and there's a, a general sense that it's that things are rising in pitch. You've got high gizmo played pizzicato, and throughout this kind of one minute, ten seconds section, you've got Kev's snare playing a kind of a military... Yeah. Similar to, to mobilisation. Well, yeah, this... They're cousins. This this track without the dialogue almost seems a bit more cinematic, as if you're zooming out and you're seeing what's, you know, the effect of of the elements around the world or something. Do you yeah. know what I mean? You're yeah, getting yeah. more... It, it seems to... Um, you get more of an overview somehow in this section. Maybe that's just because it reminds me of mobilisation and it reminds me of the way that track is yeah, described. You can almost see um, the earth at night, can't you? And all you can see is these these, these, these explosions yeah, from right. space. We, yeah. we see whole cities and countries kind of lit up by a sudden explosion. Right. Yeah, very, very dramatic, uh, high tempo. Um, and at 6.05, it, I think within the, the same... Movement, movement eight, uh, at about six minutes and five seconds, you go into a, a a change of key, but a subtle change of key from C minor to C major type thing, mm-hmm. uh, a 
where it's a choir. Right, and that's the first time that we've had conventional voices or yeah. nearly conventional voices appear in this in this um, piece. So it's quite significant, recognisable as Kevin Lowell. Yeah, definitely, and it's almost triumphant. Um, mm. Maybe it's the elements feeling cocky that they're going to win the they're going to win the war. Yeah. Uh, but the chords again are, are all over the place, mm-hmm. quite discordant really, and it's hard to actually hear what proper chords are, be, are being done. So I think it's it's deliberately a little bit random sounding, but everything's kind of underpinned by that that military snare of Kev's. <laughs> And then at 616, uh, there's a piano solo in uh, F. So again, you go back to that that underpinning F uh, note um, that, that seems to be, you know, once again stamping the elements' uh, authority. <laughs> into what I think is a, is a new movement, uh, but it's still got the same military uh, flavour to it. 625, what, what I think is movement nine, um, very military, a bit fiery still. Starts off in the key of, of C sharp uh, and sort of rising to, to D sharp. Um, violent and again, randomy. And there are elements uh, with the, the really staccato hard hits from percussion and piano uh, that may well be exactly the same recordings that they used in section seven. You were talking about them cutting up the tape, throwing it in the air and yeah. stitching it together. This might be the original version of that, yeah, possibly. It, it, or to some me, of it. it sounds like the same session, maybe. Uh-huh. And so they're, they're kind of recycling. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very effective. <laughs> This little section, only about 30 seconds long, it slows uh, and kind of resolves to an an E. uh, And that introduces the E-type chord that's used at the start of of section 10, where we hear the wind swirling. And again, we keep with that slow tempo. Piano follows the snare rhythm. 
it's a bit of space. It's a kind of a, a dramatic pause, I suppose, before, before we get the, the next section, which is uh, section 11, at seven minutes and nine, I believe, where we get a section in B major. So movement 10 is, is incredibly short to my ears. You know, it's less than 20 seconds long. Uh, goes into a, a, a cheerful kind of trumpety gizmo section in B major, which interestingly is, is the key um, that forms the, the, the initial basis of, of Blint's beautiful little mini piano concerto just after the break when they turn the page. So B major has become a... The, the new chord that I believe symbols symbolizes Blint there on his own playing his piano. Um, effectively, the, the camera has now cut to him on his own, and, and B major seems to be the dominant key there. Uh, so you've got that cheerful sound with the, the trumpet gizmo, and then hard stabs in, in F minor. Again, it's the F there, but with a minor chord. Movement 12 is impossibly short. I reckon it's 10 seconds long. Fantastic. It's this wonderful pizzicato uh, gizmo playing. Uh, you've got the kind of mobilization style uh, staccato snare. Uh, and we, we just we're listening to this, you know, for the umpteenth time. But you keep picking out new bits. There's this lovely <laughs> ascending gizmo line that happens three times, da, 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 which instantly then reminded me of iceberg. Which reminded me of iceberg. It, yeah, right? it does. Yeah. It does. So I, there's all sorts of things going on. Yeah, uh, really, really effective. That um, very, very high tempo, quite violent. It's like for me, all the elements are, uh, are all mixed up in this. <laughs> drop at 7 minutes 32 into this fantastic section, uh, movement 13, which might be air and water, uh, it, to my mind anyway, where you've got a, a fantastic funky guitar riff. Well, interesting just hearing you play that, you know, on the acoustic, the chords do sound, the funkiness of those chords was kind of always obscured until this moment by the sort of dense arrangement, yeah, but it, it, yeah. is, it is a funky yeah. sound, and uh, as you were just saying, Sean, perhaps related to the flood? Yeah, I think it's it's quite similar to the flood, right. um, where the, the, he plays some some really lovely wah wah stuff, doesn't yeah, he? On the yeah, flood? yeah, yeah. And, and this is this is kind of a, a cousin to that. The underlying chords in this section are, are comparatively straightforward. Really, you've got a, a hint of a kind of a, an an E six, and then you've got A six and G six. Mm. Um, quite quite simple, um, but there's some arpeggio playing, which is impossibly quick, which I'm not <laughs> going to even attempt to to have a go at. Um, but I, I love that the sound of the guitar and gizmo here is is just so plummy and rich. You can taste it; it's marvelous. It's a such a brilliant way of ending part one of this piece. <laughs> Thank you. 
also at this point, you're suddenly back in the room, as it were, because you hear a beautifully recorded turning of music manuscript. Mm. You hear the page being turned. So we know that Lulu at least has survived because she was <laughs> she was the one given the job of turning the pages, yeah. I think. It was Lulu, wasn't it? It was told to, yes. I have never studied. <laughs> <laughs> Just nod when I... Uh, I'll nod when you need to turn the page. There's certainly right. a lot of notes on that first page. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's just that the... The, the premise of it is is marvellous, and and again, you, it's them using silence, isn't it, and dynamics. The use of silence, and I, I don't want to bang on too much about the way this page turn is recorded, but I bet they recorded this several times because the the luscious sound of the paper, the <laughs> thickness of the, they must have done this several times. Yeah, that paper's not thick enough. Yeah, I, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's superb. Next up is the, the longest of the movements to my ears, uh, movement 14 that starts at 8 minutes 25 and goes all the way through to uh, 11 minutes 14. Uh, it's pretty much Blint playing the piano on his own, but gradually there are more and more of these beautiful gizmo parts that uh, effectively a string quartet, aren't they? Like it's, an orchestra, it's beautiful. It's the jewel in the crown of side six, isn't it? I, th it's, I think it really, the, really is. the big melody, yeah. I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's and there are at least three different musical sections to, to this movement, I think. Uh, starts in, in B major, uh, slow piano, solo, um, and it kind of makes its way to C major. And then there's a the, the subtlest, but I think the most brilliant use of bass notes on uh, with with Lowell's left hand, uh, going from C down to B, chromatically down B flat, A, A flat. But it's disguised, and, and G, isn't it? It is. It takes its time. You've got you can often hear up front almost a sort of chromatic bass descent. They're very common, yes. but here it's disguised to the the point where you in fact. You've, you've just pointed it out to me, Sean. I didn't even notice it was happening. Before. I only noticed it last week, right. to, to be honest. But I think it, it, it's so lovely. It's very evocative of of Blint trying to slow everything down. Going back to your lullaby yeah. uh, comment from before, trying to get the elements to fall asleep, lulling them. Uh, it's it's so subtle and so beautiful. It comes back from that that low G that it goes down to. It goes back into. Uh, some lovely melodies around the key of C, going up to D again and then C. And then possibly my, my favourite uh, piece of, of the whole of Blint's tune, perhaps only chordally, mm -hmm. uh, it's that, that wonderful section that, that is uh, with two chords. 
D over E to E major. And we're just smiling because those two chords crop up a lot in the 10cc catalogue. They're very similar, if not almost identical, to the opening of I'm Not In Love and The Things We Do For Love. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's marvellous. I mean, it's so simple and so subtle, but gorgeous. Uh, and, and with that beautiful gizmo melody over the top. Yeah, once again, you get this lovely build. The piano starts alone and then the melody is slowly taken on by the the string yeah. gizmo sections. That's it. And then when we go back to the B major section, uh, which really reminds us of something. I, I, I thought initially, does this remind me of Honolulu Lulu or Rosie or even Five O'Clock in the Morning? There's something familiar about it. But we were just commenting a, a few minutes ago when we were listening back to it, just how beautiful the string quartet is here. And we, we would just simply love to see this whole piece played by an orchestra. Yeah, you really, in your mind's eye, you can just see the orchestra you know accompanying the piano soloist here yeah beautiful work it, and, re and it really is all lol obviously mm. care for all his gifts wasn't capable of this part or making this part of the album i mean he may have contributed to the melody to be fair we don't know yeah. but one supposes it could be a lol solo piece yeah and certainly lol would have been 100 percent behind the, the the harmonics of this the yeah. the, the, the the beautiful uh, movements in harmony uh in, in these lovely chord structures. Then we go into two short sections, uh, 11, 14, um, which is movement 15, and 11, 34, we have movement 16. I think for both of us, a slightly disappointing kind of penultimate finale, where it, we've had the, the utter beauty of that last kind of mini piano concerto, haven't we? And then we go into two of the weaker... Uh, musical sections. Yeah, we both wonder why they didn't finish on that huge, beautiful melody that we've just heard, section 14, as we're labelling it. To me, that would have been a, a lovely way to 
finish mm. and then maybe there wasn't enough dynamism between the 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 slow quiet ending of that section and and the and the outro maybe it mm. didn't sound dramatic enough yeah um i don't know i i that's always felt like it's got a sort of completeness about it, a resolution that, that that works well with the end of the entire piece. Yeah. But, but for whatever reason, they 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 tacked on a couple of movements on the end. That's right. There's an, fifteen is is kind of an earthy, fiery thing. Starts with the cello, um, the, the the A note going up to B, uh, to going down to E, and then up to B. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a, a, a almost atonal, fast glockenspiel thing, staccato piano notes I mean it, it fits thematically with the rest of Blint's tune mm. but it just it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb here I think yeah, yeah. and then very very quickly that moves into um, a sort of catchy bit um, that is, is I think, a, a complete harking back to Sleeping Earth. You've got the, the, the two chords uh, that, that run all the way through Sleeping Earth. I've not got the chords exactly that. It's kind of like an A7 with no third, and then a sort of E minor, the, the root notes A and E. Um, which is pretty much what um, what, what Kev or Lola are playing uh, throughout Sleeping Earth, and and I think for Paul and I, what we're thinking there is that it almost hints that the Earth is is all but asleep now. Yeah, it's it's lacking its um, sort of motive. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. just this once. We don't hear that, yeah. so maybe it's ready to. Yeah, it, it's ready to give, give up. up the ghost. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the melody of this is nice. It's played sort of pizzicato on the gizmo cello. Very, very nice. But it's almost too cheerful as a prelude to the outro. The mm. outro, which is kind of heavy and violent. This final section just doesn't do it for me uh, because it, the timing of it just seems a bit inappropriate, doesn't seem to fit. Even though I like the sections, it almost spoils the ending for me. And the outro is, is pretty dramatic, isn't it? Mm. Uh, you've got, again, no use of chords, just very, very strong notes played in unison. So you've got the, the, the couple of octaves on the piano played really low. Those sort of very, very strong notes, punctuated by really heavy percussion and a wonderful ascending and descending run on the piano, like, like Blint's final flourish to, yeah. um, to, to rid any kind of nastiness from, her, from, the, from the cruel elements. Um, very, very dramatic ending. And then it thumps down to the, the crescendo in B-flat before it then uh, fades into peace. Um, with that lovely coda.
I suppose they could have put the piece, could have put these movements earlier, or may, maybe they just felt they didn't have enough material. I mm. mean, we don't know exactly in which order um, this symphony as a whole was conceived. Maybe again they sort of went organically, and yeah, I, I don't know. I'd like to know whether that beautiful tune, movement 14, and the other lovely bit earlier, I can't remember the number, the, the sort of slow piano piece, was it six? Section five, the one in D minor, yeah, which just has five. that beautiful melody. I, I wonder whether they were pieces that Lowell had lying around. Yeah. The other thing that is of interest, not saying that they had to, but I don't know whether you know this, Sean, they apparently wrote the melody for Cry in 1971. Did they really? Yeah, they had that line around, incomplete, but it's such a striking melody, which they eventually reused in 1986, of course. Yeah. Um, that would have been, if they could have worked that in some way, that would have been a sort of triumphant ending, melodically. But Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, they, but I'm sure lots and lots of, of parts of consequences are, are songs that have been lying around for yeah, a long time. Yeah, I would time. have thought so. And we've, we've talked about this before, um, that they, they wrote... In a very piecemeal fashion, as far as we're aware, so they probably had lots of fragments lying around. Yeah, yeah. But I think that the final coda of the record, where we we've, we've kind of we've hit that crescendo in in the seventeenth movement, and you're left suddenly with the the doors and windows flung open, the sound of birds, and this beautiful, the sound of the ether for me. And that mm. harks back to something we, we were saying on an earlier podcast about the fifth element. You've got earth, air, fire and water, but you've got this fifth element in, in Greek philosophy, the ether, who we kind of, we attributed that to Blint. Mm. Maybe it's the sound of, of, of life itself, the well, life-giving ether. Well, the, the birds are absolutely key, because yeah. that's what tell anyway... That what tells tells the listener that the, the animals won. are back. Yeah, Brint's won. Without without that, you don't actually know what's happened. But the birds have returned, and they'll bring the rest of the animals back. And so, we've won. I, now, who knows whether Blint and the other four have survived? I mean, that that's also uh, it's an enigmatic ending. Yeah. I mean, in strictly dramatic terms, neither Blint um, nor the other four of uh, the quartet need to survive. So I, I, I wonder what's <laughs> happened to them at the end. But, but, but he, at least, has been successful. We know that, you know, the, the world or humanities has won. And that, that's yeah. very important. Yeah, very much so. You almost half expect Peppermint to angrily order a taxi or something <laughs> at the end. <laughs> that would be funny. It, it would. Uh, maybe in the stage version, Paul. Yeah. But I, I love... Going, going back to sort of my, my, my thing about this, this ether thing... One of the things I, I love about the fade out here mm -hmm. is the, it seems to be a, a, a collection of loads and loads and loads of notes, sung or played, uh, I don't know how. All the notes. Well, you know what that it, reminds it, us of. Absolutely. I knew you were going to go, it sounds like I'm not in love. It's that sound, that ambient. That buzz. That buzz. Uh, what, how did one of them describe it? Walking into a church or something. Yeah. Uh, just the, the almost unheard background noise. That's it. All sounds. But there are almost, and maybe this is just my imag imagination, but there's almost um, three or four notes that slightly dominate oh, that is buzz. Oh, Okay. And to me, it sounds a little bit like an E-flat, or maybe an E-flat minor over G. And then with the occasional kind of rising notes to an F and then back down to, to E flat. 
but it might be that I listen to it so many times, <laughs> I'm just going nuts. <laughs> but there's, there's just that hint, and I was, I'm thinking, well, that's the sound of Blint. You know, he says yeah. he's E flat, so maybe they're giving him his little kind of little fanfare of E flat at the end. Uh, it's beautiful anyway. So Blint's tune, it's a, it's a dramatic piece of music, and I, I'm every single time I listen to it, I hear more and more. I enjoy it more and I admire it more. It was interesting, uh, Kev Godley, I think in a, in a more recent interview where the interviewer was just pressing him to reassess consequences. He sort of begrudgingly at the end of the interview agreed that he'd go away and listen to two sides of the album. Mm. And they were side one and side six. Yeah. And that was interesting for me. Uh, he... He's clearly really proud of Blint's tune. Yeah, because uh, um, the impression that's given is that the the project, in a way, snowballed out of, <laughs> out of their control, in a way. Yeah. So one would perhaps expect that, um, certainly you'd exp- you would think they'd be fans of the earlier parts of the work. But yeah, to hear Kev um, talk proudly about Side 6, that was quite gratifying, really. Definitely. They kind of wrested control back from Peter Cook, or almost, <laughs> who, tend, you know, just by the force of his personality, kind of tends to dominate some of that record. Definitely, and, and Kev doesn't really have a positive thing to say about Peter Cook's contribution, does he? Uh, well, it's, it's complex again, isn't it? I think, um, mm. yeah, yeah, I think you could be right there. Yeah, and um, hopefully this is something that we can cover in a, in a later podcast. We'd love to, to elaborate more on Kevin Lowell's, um, their personal journey with consequences over the last sort of 40 odd years. Yeah, there's the very interesting fact that um, when, I think it was when the CD reissue happened, the um, the kerning, I've learnt that word because somebody posted it on, on YouTube, which is, um, I think it's a technical term about the spacing between font or letters. Okay. Now, the album's called Consequences, but when the CD reissue occurred at that point, the, the kerning, I'm using that word again, because mm-hmm. I've just learnt it, the spacing of the letters was altered so that the, it, it read con sequences. Mm. And that must have been deliberate. Oh, maybe that was um, GNC somehow, I don't know, feeling self-conscious or... or um, uh, I don't know. What, Some kind belittle, of belittling the seriousness yeah, themselves. of the work. I mean, I've heard Kevin Godley on two separate mm. occasions call this album Con Sequences, as if he's kind of preempting any criticism himself. It's a shame, isn't it? Because I'm, I'm hoping that, that the last, well, nearly a dozen episodes of this podcast, and thanks for, for bearing with us, folks. Crikey, yeah. what patience. We, we hope we've, we've vindicated its... its it's worth as a, a musical work, as a piece of recording, as of, of, a, of a drama that's fascinating. Yeah, we can only... We can only it's not a con, is it? No, not... It's, it's, it's blooming good. It's great. I mean, it, yeah, it's because it's, it, it's almost unknown and we're, we're slightly evangelical about the subject. <laughs> uh, but it's because when, whenever, you know, either, either of us talk to anybody about consequences, you get a, a blank look. Um, yes, and I, I, I succeed in evangelising evangelizing it about once every ten years. <laughs> I'll meet someone who who 
will take a CDR off me and come back and say, yeah, I really like this. Well, through the podcast, we've been very um, happy to learn that there are a number of people who mm. have carried the torch, as it were. Yeah. So thanks to all of you, because there, there aren't that... There aren't uh, many people who like it comparatively, but those that do really do like it, if you know what I mean. It's, yeah. sort of, uh, it's the ultimate Marmite record, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but it, it's not just... It's not just because it's rare or unknown it really does it does work as a piece yeah and um so we're gonna love you and leave you um for one week only folks we're gonna go into new territory uh in next week's episode of the podcast and paul if you can just explain our thinking uh behind the next the next series of episodes yeah well um we've been asked by some people whether we would uh, look at other um, elements, as it were, of the 10cc universe, mm. and um, yeah, we, we're going to dive in uh, to the um, the four albums: 10cc sheet music, original soundtrack, and how dare you? Um, but we're aware also that those f- uh, four albums are really just um, the pyramid or the top of a pyramid, <laughs> which, like uh, Mr. Pepperman, it extends downward significantly from his nose. The, the thing about 10CC and the four musicians who comprise it, um, they have done such a lot of interesting work. Um, before and after. Before and after, and, and even during in, in various combinations. Mm. And obviously they're, they're known... We're sitting right at the apex of that uh, musical pyramid, I suppose, is I'm Not In Love. Mm. which, as you said, Sean, will be the the music. That will be the one that survives into the 22nd century, no doubt about that. Yeah. But uh, meanwhile, in the 21st century, there is such a lot to explore from the early 60s through to the present day. So we're going to start off uh, by going mainstream, as it were, look at those the four classic albums, and then we're just going to go as, as the mood takes us. We're not uh, in a linear fashion. We're going to look at... But we, we're gonna, it'll be a, a tug of war between... Um, for example, uh, my love of, of the Godling Cream solo albums, mm. Post Consequences, yeah. particularly L and Freeze Frame, which I absolutely love. Paul's love of albums like uh, Bloody Taurus, which I struggle with. Yeah, we'll have a good interesting chat about so that. So we'll kind of be evangelising with each other to try and convert the other. Yeah, and then we've got uh, my contentious opinion, maybe that the most satisfying albums of all, uh, front to back, in a way, are the Graham Goldman thing and Animal Olympics discuss. Interesting. I've not heard Animal Olympics for a long, long time. That's another one from Wellingborough Record Library, <laughs> which is to blame for me having consequences in the first place. How interesting. We can't wait. Um, we'll see you next time, folks. Thank you so much for listening to our efforts so far, um, for, for sharing our love for this fine record, and uh, we hope you enjoy our ventures into new space. Thanks, people. Bye. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening